Well, good morning, Arbor. It's good to be with you, at least to be with you online. Before we jump into the message this morning, uh, what I'd like to do is I'd like to acknowledge uh, the concern that's out there. I want to acknowledge the concern of infection and the concern of our economic impact of this whole situation. It is clear out there that so many people are concerned and that frustrations are starting to rise with the lack of control that we have. And it's even turning to fear. Fear about what will happen next. Fear about how long this will last. What in the heck is going on? And so in the midst of this, as a pastor, what I would like to do is take a moment and reflect on the words of Peter. We're going to be talking about him a whole lot today. But I want to reflect on his words when he said this. He said, cast all your cares. Other translations say, cast all your anxiety, cast all your worries upon him. Him being Jesus. Because he cares for us. And so how do we cast our cares? We do that by praying. And so we want to take a moment right now. Paul tells us that when we pray, uh, that um, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, it will guard our hearts and our minds. How? Through Christ Jesus. And so let's take a moment before we begin and just pray and cast our cares upon him. Jesus. You know all things, and this is not a surprise to you. As I look online and I see the concern and the distress, and I have conversations with friends and uh, the unknown, Lord, my prayer is that you'd bring peace to us in this time. That you would be with those who are sick and you would care for them. You would heal them, Lord. You are the great physician. We ask that of you. And so, Lord, I pray for our people Um, In this church, not only are people to have an impact, but that they would have peace in their life. I pray for everyone outside of this church, Lord. May your spirit rest. May people come to know you through this craziness. Because you are the rock. You are our rock, Lord. And so we ask for your Holy Spirit to be with us today. Not just in this service, but every week and every moment as we are together. we're, we're, We're together, kind of separate. We're with our families inside of our homes. I pray that you'd give us peace in this time. We cast our cares upon you, Lord. We truly do. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, our hope, my hope, is that we would gather again soon, as soon as possible, but unfortunately it looks like that is not going to be happening anytime soon. So in the meantime, I would just want to say welcome to church. This is church. My name is Jake, and we are in the middle of a series, or actually part two. We're not even close to the middle. This thing is a 10-week series, and we're only on part two, and we're calling this thing Peter. And this series is simply going to take us up to Good Friday, then to Easter and beyond. Peter is scattered all throughout the Gospels, and we want to take his story, and we want to tell it all the way up past Easter. And so uh, today we're going to be continuing this series. Peter is one of the most famous, most endearing, most relatable characters in all of Scripture. But our goal in this series, and I think that this is so important That our goal when this is all said and done is not simply to learn more about Peter, although that will happen. Our goal is simply to better understand Jesus through the life of Peter. We want to have a better understanding of who Jesus is, God, through the life of Peter, the fisherman. Because friends, it's all about Jesus. 
It truly is. Heck, we wouldn't even know who Peter is if it wasn't for his interactions with Jesus. Peter simply provides us with a kind of an insider perspective, kind of an intimate view of the man who changed the world. And so this morning, I want to walk through Matthew chapter 14. I want to talk about the story or the, the event of Peter and Jesus walking on water. And honestly, I think this is a very timely message um, considering the current circumstances that we're in. And so let's start in Matthew chapter 14, verse 23. Here's what it says. It says, when evening came, he, he being Jesus, was there alone. Where was he alone? He was on the mountainside. We learned that from the, the few uh, verses beforehand. So he was on there, he was there alone, but the boat, and the boat is full of disciples, was already a consistence from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Friends, this, this event takes place on the Sea of Galilee. Here's a picture of the Sea of Galilee, which it's not really a sea actually at all because there is no salt in the Sea of Galilee. It's a fresh water lake. And it's not as big as you might think. It, uh, it's, it's actually only 13 miles long and at its, its widest, it's seven miles across. To kind of give you a perspective, it's about twice the size of Lake Washington. In the Bible, it goes by multiple names. The name that I could not pronounce last week is Gennesaret, which is the Greek word for uh, the Sea of Galilee. Uh, it's also known as the Sea of Tiberias. It's also known as Kinnereth, which is the Hebrew word for violin, which is interesting because if you take an aerial perspective of the Sea of Galilee, you'll see it kind of looks like a violin. It has kind of that shape. The lake is 686 feet below sea level. It is the lowest freshwater lake in all of the earth and has high rising hills on all sides of it. Why is this important? What does this even matter? Here's why. It's because the lake or the sea sits in a bowl. And what happens is that when the wind goes over it, it goes in it and it switches all around and it takes the waters from a calm to a turbulent state quickly. This is still happening today, especially during the winter months. And so this is why the boat full of disciples is buffeted by the waves. It's why it is stuck on the water. Verse number 25 says this, during the fourth watch of the night, and the fourth watch of the night, just so that you know, is between three and six a.m., so it is still dark outside, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Now, I have probably read this passage a thousand times. I have heard dozens and dozens of pastors preach on it. I would wager to say that you yourself have heard the story. You might even have read the story in the Bible yourself. This is a famous and familiar story. But friends, it might be a little too familiar because when we read the phrase walking on the lake, it should shock us. It should get our attention. And yet what we do is we gloss over that verse like Jesus was taking a leisurely stroll or he was doing something as ordinary as tying his shoe. I don't know about you, 
But when I go to the beach and I look out and I see people swimming and I see people splashing and I see people on paddle boards and surfing, I do not see people walking on the water. This is a full-fledged miracle here, a full-fledged miracle. And something to note that I think is amazing, according to the Gospel of John, the boat is three and a half miles offshore. So that means that Jesus walked on water at night in a storm by himself without a life jacket for 3.5 miles. Let's not miss the miracle here. Let's not miss the man who could walk on water. This is huge. I heard recently, I talked to a friend of mine, a buddy of mine, who last fall went on a mission trip, and he went to Greece. And in Greece, what he did there is he met um, uh, him and the, and the team, they met a lady, and that lady told him a story, and told this story tearfully about a situation that just recently happened to her. And this is what happened. She was taking a boat from all the way from uh, Turkey to Greece, which doesn't take that long. It's like two and a half hour uh, boat ride if you're going really fast. But anyway, she was taking that ride with her kid, um, five-year-old son. And on that ride, they were going across, not just them, but a handful of other people were on that boat. And they realized all of a sudden that they couldn't find the son. The, the little boy went missing, and so they started to look around the boat. They couldn't find him. They got a little bit panicked. They start looking, uh, throwing everything, just trying to, flipping it upside down, trying to find the boy, and they couldn't find him. Eventually, they got to the point that they realized, because the boat wasn't that big, that the, bo- the boy must have fallen overboard. And so you have to imagine, as a mom, that this is the worst news you could hear. This is the worst situation that could possibly happen. And so she is devastated. Well, the boat comes up, and it pulls up into Greece. And as it's pulling up into Greece and coming and approaching the dock, the mom is looking out from the front of the boat, and she sees somebody on the dock. Well, who does she see but her five-year-old boy? And what happened is she jumped off the boat, she ran to him, she grabs him, she hugs him, she is crying, she's saying, how in the world are you here? How did you get here? Where have you been? And the boy explains to her, his mom this, she said, I did, yes, you're right, I did fall overboard, but the man who walks on water brought me to shore. The man who walks on water brought me to shore. That was last fall, my friends. And that gal was a Muslim, and what ended up happening is she got there, and she wanted to quickly talk to a Christian, any Christian, because she wanted to become one, which is understandably so why she'd want to. Friends, we cannot miss the miracle. Jesus walks on water. Verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Now, a little background here. Not that a person walking on the water in the middle of the night would be freaky enough, but at that time, there was a Jewish, a famous Jewish superstition of their day, kind of like the superstitions of our day. If a black cat walks across our path, we would say that's bad luck. If you drop and break a mirror, walk under a ladder, bring a banana on a boat, that's bad luck. In this time in their culture, if they were to see a ghost, that meant that disaster was about 
ready. In their mind, they see a ghost in the middle of the storm, and they are thinking to themselves, we are about to capsize. We're going down. It is doubly scary in this moment. It's probably triply scary because there's a man on the water. They're in a storm, and then there's this superstition. Verse 27 says, But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Friends, some of you today need to hear those words. You need to hear the words of your Savior say, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. He is saying to you, I I got you. I got this. I've got the whole world in my hands, and that includes you. So my child, my son, my daughter, take courage. I am with you. There's no need to be afraid. And so Peter replied in what is, seems like the most crazy, bold request that you could make. He says this. He says, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. To come to you on the water. So not only is this a left field, out of the blue sky, lightning strike type of request, bold request, Peter, in order to make this type of request, had to settle a couple questions. He had to settle a couple things in his mind. Number one, he had to settle this question, and that's this, who Jesus was. He had to settle who Jesus was. In this moment, Peter is acting on what he'll soon proclaim in a couple chapters later, that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah, he is the promised one, the son of the living God. And so what he does is he literally puts his life in the hands of Jesus. Friends, everyone, and I mean this, everyone, no matter who you are, at some point in time, we are gonna have to answer this question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Is he a carpenter? Is he a good teacher? Is he some political activist like the first hippie that ever existed? Is he some, you know, fairy tale, fictitious character out of some made-up book? How we answer this question affects everything. And I mean everything. It affects what we do. It affects how we think. And it even affects our eternity. Personally, I have settled this question years ago. I believe with all my heart that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he is the Messiah and and the hope for the world. Friends, I'm putting all my eggs in this basket. I'm putting all my eggs in this basket. I believe Jesus is who he says he is. And he has proven himself to me time after time after time. You can trust him. And so if you've never answered that question, who Jesus is, I pray today that you would answer that question. Not just with, oh, he's this fictitious guy. No, he's so much more than that. He is real, he is alive, and he loves you. First question Peter settled, who Jesus was. The second question that he settled was this, where he wanted to be. Peter settled where he wanted to be. Peter figured the safest place in the midst of the storm was out there next to Jesus by his side. 
Peter could have stayed in the boat. He could have sat there with the rest of the disciples in safety and in comfort of the boat. But Peter had seen enough. He had witnessed enough miracles. He had seen Jesus in action. And so he could have stayed there. But from everything he saw, he figured that he'd rather be out there with Jesus than to be where he was safe, if you will, this facade of safe, in the boat. And why did he want to? Because he knew Jesus. He knew who Jesus was. Here's what Peter knew. He knew this. He knew it's better to be with Jesus in the midst of a storm than to be without him anywhere else. I will say that again because that is huge. It is better to be with Jesus in the midst of a storm than to be without him anywhere else. And so how did Jesus respond to Peter's request? Verse 29, here's what happened. It says, Jesus said, come. Jesus said, come. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on water, and came towards Jesus. Peter rocked the boat. He stepped out onto the water, physically and symbolically rocked the boat. This is such a bold move. I imagine that one of the other disciples in this moment reaches and grabs him by his robe and says, sit down, Peter. What are you doing? We are not supposed to stand up in a boat. It is safe down here. Come be with us. Peter brushes him aside. He puts one leg over the other and he puts his full weight on the water. Peter was all in. He was always all in. And for a moment, Peter walked on water. He walked on water. Could you imagine what that's like? I have water skied. I have done paddle boarding. But I have never walked on water. That is a bold, bold move. Let me ask you, personally, how many times Have you heard, have you sensed God say to you, come? Come to me. And uncertainty has held you back. How many times have you heard God say, come, and fear has caused you to fold? How many times have you heard God say, come, and the opinions of others, the others sitting next to you in the boat, stopped you from pursuing Jesus? How many times? I know that there is someone out there today, somebody out there through this camera, through this system, that today is your day, long time, and you have been sitting inside of the safety of the boat. I'm telling you today, the safety of the boat is a facade. The security that you seek is not found in a certain situation or a perfect situation. The security that you seek is not found in the stock market or in your savings or in any of the money that you own because you don't own that money anyway. It's God's money. The security you seek is not found in a something. It's found in a someone and that someone is waiting on the water and he is calling you to come. Come to me today. Take a bold move. Take a big step out of the boat and pursue me. Friends, years ago, when I first, first started to follow Jesus with reckless abandon, I would go to a river. 
And at this river, I would go and I would take my Bible and I would read my Bible and I would pray out in God's wilderness next to this river in the middle of nowhere. And I loved it. One time I was there, I read this story about Peter walking on water and I thought to myself, if Peter could do it, so could I. And so truly what I did is I didn't tiptoe into this thing. I thought, if I'm gonna do this, I gotta have faith. And I got onto a big rock over a big deep hole and I said, God, if you're real, I want you to show me right now. And friends, I really did. I put my foot out like Indiana Jones in the last crusade and I set it down and my foot hit the water and it went straight down and I'm sitting there in all my clothes, waist deep in water. There's fishermen on either side of me and I'm standing inside of the water and I'm thinking to myself, gosh dang it. You don't test God in this way. You get wet that way. And it's the same thing that happened with Peter. He got a little wet. And if we're going to get out of the boat, we're going to get a little wet as well. Verse 30, here's what it says. But when he, talking about Peter, saw the wind, so he's walking on water, and he saw the wind, he was afraid. And he began to think, to, or think he began to sink. What does he do? He cries out, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Storms. Storms are ever present in our life. They really are. Big storms, little storms, global storms will be ever present. But here's what Peter teaches us, and this is huge, is that when storms take our focus, fear takes us under. When storms take our focus, fear takes us under under. Verse 30 tells us this. It says, when Peter turned his focus to the wind, to his surrounding, to his circumstances, to his situation, fear took him under. And when fear takes you, takes you over, it, the fear, it, you will go under. You'll go under at that point in time. And friends, I got to say this. We have seen a lot of fear as of late. We have. People are scared. People are scared of being infected. People are fearful of being isolated, and yet at the same time, we're fearful of touching each other right now, of being together. We're scared whether our kids are gonna fall behind in school. We're nervous about running out of food supplies or running out of food, or if you're a parent, running out of patience while you're at home. We're scared about not having what we need when we need it or being cut off by the supplies that we have depended on. We're fearful about losing a paycheck, about losing our retirement, losing our job, losing our insurance, losing our savings, losing our house, losing our health. We're fearful about losing somebody that we love or even losing our own life. There is a lot of fear around these days. You see it all over the internet. And I see it too. I do. Yet in the middle of this uncertainty, I want to encourage us to be careful, not just careful in social distancing, but to be careful that fear doesn't take our focus. That fear doesn't consume us in this moment. I'm not saying that our concerns or your concerns are not valid and that we shouldn't take precautions. We should. What I am saying is that God is still on the throne. 
and Jesus is still king. And that there's not a leaf that falls on this green earth that he hasn't had knowledge of or given consent for it to fall. He is in control. He is still in control even when it doesn't feel like it and it feels more like chaos. God is still in control. We have to remember the words of Jesus. He says this. He says, in this world, you will. He didn't say you might. He didn't say you could. He said you will have trouble. And friends, we are having trouble right now. But here's what he also says. He says, but take heart. Take courage. I have overcome the world. And he has. He has overcome the world. Watch what Jesus does in verse 31. It says immediately, Peter's sinking. Immediately, he didn't hesitate. He didn't wait. Peter's going under. He didn't let him go under. Hey, you need to learn your lesson, Peter. No, immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. And friends, what I'm telling you today is that he will catch you too. He will. Jesus will catch you. If you are going under, he will reach for you. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how long you have been doing it. I don't care how deep your sin goes, how far you've run away from God, how bad you've messed up. Jesus, when you call on him, will reach for you. How quickly will he do it? Immediately, he will reach for you. But what we have to do is we have to call out to him. Lord, save me, and he will reach. Look at what Jesus says next. This is very interesting. He said to Peter, O you of little faith, why did, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? For the longest time, I was confused to why Jesus scolded Peter in this moment. It never made sense to me why Peter took this big, bold step of faith out, and yet what happens is Jesus chastises him in this moment. But that's not what's happening here. The truth is Jesus did not chastise him. He didn't chastise him at all. It's all in the matter of tone. For example, we built a fire about a few weeks ago at our house. This is getting cold. And I have a son. He's two years old. His name's Montana. In Montana, we've told him over and over again, don't touch the fire. Don't touch the fire. Hot. He understands that. He knows that he's not supposed to touch it. And so we built a fire. This is not the first fire. We've had it for a while. And we've told him every time we build a fire, no touch. Hot. Well, my wife and I, we are in the kitchen, and all of a sudden, we hear this blood-screeching scream come from the family room. And we realize that Montana has touched the fireplace and he got burned. So we quickly run over there and what we say to him is, I told you not to touch that. I told you don't touch that thing. See what happens? We said those words, but we didn't say it in that tone. Here's how we said it. We picked him up, we held him tight, and I said, buddy, man, man, I told you not to touch that. Don't, ah, this is what happens, buddy. Ah, don't touch the fire, it's hot. And he's screaming, didn't hear one word that we were saying, and that's because he was upset and he was in pain. But the reality is, it's all in the matter of the tone. Jesus is not scolding Peter here. He's asking him in a loving way, why did you doubt? The Greek word for doubt is distazo. 
distazo, which means to waver. And so what Jesus is doing is he's saying there's no need to waver. The implication of Jesus' question, why did you doubt, is simple. He's saying you didn't have to doubt. You didn't have to fear. There's no need to doubt. There's no need to fear. He's saying to Peter, I got you. Have faith. Have faith. Friends, when our faith in someone exceeds our fear of something, fear loses its grip. I'm going to say that again. Nobody in this place said amen because there's nobody here, but I'm going to say that again because it's so important. When our faith in someone exceeds our fear of something, fear loses its grip. And that someone is Jesus. Only one person. Jesus is the only one with the power capable to overcome fear. And he does it through love. Look at what John the Apostle said. He said this, there is no fear in love because perfect love drives out fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. Friends, earlier, I said that this series is not about Peter and it's not. It's about Jesus. And so the question remains, What do we learn about Jesus from this interaction with Peter? And this is so important. Earlier, I said this, when storms take our focus, fear takes us under. What I'm saying now in contrast is this, when Jesus is our focus, love lifts us up. When Jesus is our focus, love lifts us up. As long as we have our eyes on Jesus, as long as we are looking to him, as long as our heart is moving in his direction and we're staying focused on him, not on the wind, not on the waves, not on the circumstances, not in the chaos, but we're focused on Jesus. When we do that, fear will drop because love lifts us up. We need to fix our eyes on him. King Solomon said this, he says, let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Do not swerve to the right or the left. When Jesus is in our focus, love lifts us up. So practically speaking, where do we go from here? What do we do? First thing I think we have to do is we have to do this. We have to decide like Peter decided where we want to be. You need to decide where you want to be. Do you want to sit in the boat? Or do you want to go stand out on the water with Jesus? We have to decide who he is and where we want to be. When you want to get from point A to point B, the first step that you take is you decide point B, your destination, where you want to go then the next thing that you need to do is you need to decide where you are. You need to decide point A. Where am I currently? Determine where you are. I will admit to you, I do not like going to the mall. I really don't. If there's anything I can do to avoid going to the mall, I do. Amazon is my best friend. But when I have to go to the mall, I want to get in and out as quickly as possible. So what do I do? I move in and I go and I look for that mall map. 
And when you find that mall map, what is the one thing that you look for? You look for the dot that says, you are here. You are here. You want to find that, and that is your, your point of origin. Everything else is centered around that. I'm not making this up. One time when I went to the mall years and years ago, I'm standing there and it says, you are here. And I overhear a girl talking to her mom and the girl goes, you are here. And it's like, she's like, how did they know? And like, well, they just, they just know, right? You are here. And that's what we need to find out. And by you are here, I don't mean your physical location. I'm talking about your spiritual location. A spiritual inventory. Where are you when it comes to a relationship with Christ? You ask yourself the question, are you sitting in the boat? Are you even in the boat? You might be on the shore somewhere. Or are you walking on the waves straight with your eyes focused? Determine where you are in order to know what the next step is. And that's the next step here. It's an actual step. I want you to take a bold step like Peter towards Jesus. Like him, we take our legs and we lift it over the side of the boat and we walk towards him. That means if you don't know him, let's pray to get to know him. That means if you do know him, let's, let's dive into our word and get to know him more. We want to be in fellowship together, and I get that that's so hard to do in this world today right now, but we want to learn more about him. We want to get to know him and pursue him. And here's what I know, and here's what's great, is that when you pursue Jesus, when you go after him, He will turn and face you with arms wide open because he loves you. He spread his arms for you on the cross and he wants you to be with him. He wants you to come to him. And so my friends, determine where you want to be and then determine where you are and whatever you have to do, take that next bold step closer to him. That is my prayer, not just for myself, but for you and for our whole church. Let's pray.